Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. To reveal the full spectrum of its dazzling color. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome in. If you're just tuning in, Hour 2 here on Sports 56 Mornings, the Thursday, November 9th, 2023 edition. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, and Zach Boyd with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure, their overstock sale continues at 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. Currently cloudy, 66 degrees. Temperature will start to drop. We're looking at a low tonight of about 49. Chance of rain, about 20% chance of rain into the overnight hours. And then tomorrow, sunshine and clouds mixed with a high of only 58 degrees. Hour two of the program is brought to you by our friends at James Gaddis Jewelers. They have been with us for years and years. And they've been around Memphis for years and years. And they can take care of your jewelry needs, whether it's a beautiful diamond engagement ring or wedding rings, personally designed wedding sets, or any of the other fine jewelry, like their watches. And they have all types of different watches, including the Rolex watches, both new and pre-owned. They have gemstones of all types, custom-made jewelry and bracelets, necklaces and earrings and pendants, designer jewelry, estate and vintage jewelry, and they're always adding to their collection. Yes, you want variety, you've come to the right place, James Gaddis Jewelers. James is a master jeweler. He's a certified appraiser, so if you need something appraised, just bring it on over to James, and they will appraise that for you. They'll buy your gold, silver, and diamonds. He is a diamondologist, and he's graded by the Gemologist Institute of America. So he has all the credentials to steer you in the right direction. They're full-service jewelers, so they have two bench jewelers ready to serve you. If you need a simple cleaning, you need a resetting of your stone, whatever the case may be, all their diamonds are independently graded and certified. They know there's a lot of competition, so they make sure they have a price point to suit everyone's budget. When you have time this weekend, during the week, as we get closer to the holidays, do yourself a favor. Stop by James Gaddis Jewelers. They are your family's jeweler. 4900 Poplar Avenue between Mendenhall and St. Nick and on the web at GaddisJewelers.com. Well, college football, we are getting down to the nitty-gritty. Conference championship games will be just a few weeks away, and teams are vying to get into their respective championship games. Obviously, teams are trying to get bowl-eligible and other teams looking to make it to the promised land and be in the four-team playoff, the final year of the four-team playoff. So needless to say, all around the nation, huge college football games, and that includes Saturday in Charlotte for the Memphis Tigers and the Charlotte 49ers. It is Wednesday. It is Thursday, rather. It is time to talk to Ryan Silverfield. It's time to talk Memphis Tigers football. It's Sports 56 Morning's weekly visit with Tigers head coach Ryan Silverfield. Brought to you by ATC Fitness with 18 locations in Memphis and the Mid-South. Now, here's Coach Silverfield with Greg and Eli. We get the chance to talk to Coach Ryan Silverfield each and every week in preparation of the Tigers' next game. You can follow him on Twitter at rsilverfield. Hey, Coach. Morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing well. Is this season going fast or is it dragging? What's it like when you're getting ready each week for an opponent? Does it just fly by? Well, it does, and it's you know, I, the players will tell you it drags on because, <laughs> um, but no, it's it, and, and more so now than ever. And, and you guys know how much I appreciate the the sport, the the, the realm of college football as a whole, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. 
you talk to head coaches and more and more are talking about every week being a brand new season. I think because of the portal, the way every game is so important with what everybody's trying to get accomplished, the way um, rosters are managed. I think so every week to us is a brand new season. And so to that, it, it's refreshing. Um, it, you re-energize or <clears throat> you revitalize regardless of what happens in the previous week. It's a totally new focus trying to go one and all. It flies by. It absolutely flies by because I, you know, I hate to always look ahead like, oh, wait, wait a second. We only have a few more regular season games. Um, so kind of keeping those blinders on, as you guys have heard me refer to over the years, has helped. But man, it, it does go by quick. Um, but, you know, then you look up and you're like, wait, we've been working 100 plus hours a week since all this first and rolling. And uh, that's the nature of it. Last week, um, you don't you don't plan on it. You don't really ever want to give up 50 points in a game, but um, you're still able to pull out the win. Your team continues uh, to find ways to win these games. But um, a game like that, what, what's it like when you know, basically, it seems like you've got to score every time you have the football? Well, you know, look, uh, so I'll, I'll start with our offense. Obviously, they were rolling. You guys have heard me use the word consistency, and, and uh, I think we were able to do a lot of positive things, especially what they were doing, right? They were trying to play man coverage and, and saying, okay, well, we're not going to let you um, use Blake Watson and run the football on us. So mm-hmm. um, we were able to hit some of the explosive pass plays. I think that's what led to, you know, the, the breakout games by Rock Taylor and Demir Blankupsey. Um, and, you know, obviously a, a five-touchdown performance by the quarterback. But then you look at what, you know, on defense, um, you know, obviously – First, let's start off the the, the block spawns inexcusable. Um, it's very hard to win football games. You guys have heard me talk about that before. When you give up a, a block spawn or a major error on special teams, so that put our defense in a bad spot. You know, we had a interception dropped um, right in our hands that they scored a touchdown that drive. We had a forced fumble that they got the nice Sunday hop. They scored on that drive. A missed tackle on a third and sixteen. They scored on that drive. And then they uh, um, um, missed tackle on a fourth and five, and they scored on that drive. Again, no excuses, no explanations. We've got to be better, and we, we're working hard and diligently this week to improve all facets of our program, offense, defense, and special teams. Um, certainly, we never ever want to give up fifty points because that is not good enough, um, and we understand that. Our players understand that. Our staff understands that. And it starts with me to get it fixed. Um, but when you when you get into those games, we've all been there before. You know, I, I think about some of the games over in the past here that they've uh, even earlier in my career here, where it's like, okay, this is going to be a shootout. We just got outscored, mm-hmm. um, and that's the mentality that we had to have. I don't like that in essence. I'd like to play a complete football game, and most traditional football coaches do. Um, you know, because I do care about all three phases, and we've shown that we're capable at times. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, every week presents its own challenges. Um, but we're, we're certainly expecting every face to step up and, and improve this week. Just going back for a moment to, to last week, everybody knows that uh, a game in, in any sport can can uh, change with a drop of a hat. So you have that lead, you have the ball, it's late second quarter, you're getting near halftime. I don't know if you're already starting to think about, here's what I want to say to the guys at halftime, and then the blocked punt, and then everything changes. It's the same for me. As I'm getting ready to interview you, I'm thinking, oh, now i got to change what I wanted to ask Coach because of the blocked punt. Does it change? All of a sudden you go, okay. 
now now I got to say something different. It's a different speech I got to go in there and say. Is so my question is is it always the same thing that you want to say, the motivational type speech, or now is it all of a sudden changed because how the momentum switched there late in that second quarter going into halftime? Yeah, you try to get a feel, you know, I I'm I'm not sitting there um much to pride people's disappoint midway through the second quarter, like, okay, what am I going to say? Right, no, no. <laughs> I meant know, like the last, you must have basically the last minute. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, what's the post-game snack going to be like? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I, I, I am uh, 100% focused on what occurs on the field, but yes, uh, Greg, to your point is, I, I sit there and I, I think, okay, what's the mindset of the guys, right? This is a, uh, could be a true momentum killer, could be a true let the air out of the balloon type of moment. Um, and the biggest thing you want is your guys to have confidence, right? Whether you're down 10, up 10, whatever that looks like, uh, to have confidence in the ability to go out there and play a whole new half. We're, we're seeing, and you guys hear me talk about this in the press conferences, is we're seeing more and more through college football, it's truly tell two halves for a lot of teams, mm-hmm. right? And, and we've seen that with us. We've seen it throughout. And how do you, you go out there that, that second half and with the right side of mindset and energy, regardless of the score, right? We've been up on teams very big, and we've been down on teams very big. Um, and so it's just keeping that mindset, that approach, that focus, that generally speaking, okay, we go into a game and say, okay, here are the keys to victory. Here's what it's going to take. Now, you know, on the radio and, and, and publicly, I don't go into the exact details. Hey, okay, we've got to be great on you know third and short. We've got to uh, – here's where we've got to be better. You know, the specifics we go into with our players – but those really don't change from the first half to the second, right? I mean, like it's still going to be owning the darn football, getting a takeaway. Those are how you're going to win football games, mm-hmm. uh, blocking and tackling. So um, you, you change it, obviously, based off of what occurs and what had occurred in the first half and then what you think the guys need to do. You've played these explosive offenses that play really fast. Look at, from Charlotte's perspective, just looking at their numbers, they they are they are not that. They are a team that wants to run the ball, control the football. They are top ten in the nation in time of possession. Um, you know, they have a, one of the two quarterbacks can really run the football. Um, what do you see from this Charlotte offense, which seems to be the complete opposite of what USF is? You're right. So that is unique in that aspect. Now, here's the deal: they play three different quarterbacks. So we we played that. Uh, we played that circus before at, with that UAB, where I think they played five. Um, <laughs> so we have, we have this week we have literally this week we have literally prepared for three different quarterbacks, um, and each one has different attributes, and that's what's challenging because you want to have a certain set of play calls, right? And there's only so much time of the day you don't want to say, okay, here are the thirty play calls for this number, here are the thirty play calls for, and what ends up happening is you know, in reality you've got to adjust based off of what their talent level is, and right? They game plan, too, so they're going to sit there and say, well, if, if Memphis thinks this guy's a running quarterback and they load the box, well, let's try this double pass, right? Let's let's Because they're all quarterbacks. They can still throw the football. I always love the adage, like, well, he can't throw. Okay, well, wow, then, you know, he still was a, <laughs> a quarterback in high school. He's still a scholarship quarterback. He can probably throw a football better than 99% of the country. Um, so, you know, you've got to prepare for all, but it, it does create different challenges. Um, the Charlotte team as a whole, you know, everybody says, well, they weren't very good last year. Sure, but they have 70 new players, um, right? They have uh, 25 players on their roster have already graduated college. They have 23 Power 5 transfers. Uh, and when I say Power 5, I'm talking about, right, like they have a defensive end that was the number two ranked player in the entire country. Um, they've, they've got some players, and it's so it's – when. People are going to put on the game, or those that are making the, the, the trek to Charlotte are going to say, 
wow, holy cow, that's not what we were expecting from the opponent. And so they're very talented. There's a reason why they won two of the last three. Um, and we're going to have our hands full. Let's talk about the elephant in the room because you mentioned they have to prepare or you have to prepare for possibly three quarterbacks. They have to prepare for two, and normally they wouldn't have to because of of Seth's injury. I know Monday you said day-to-day, and if you look at the depth chart, you have the oars. You have Seth Hennigan or Tevin Carter. You have Blake Watson or um, you have uh, Sutton Smith or Brandon Thomas. So you have the oars in there. Um, I would imagine that that's where we still stand today, and it will actually be a... a, uh, hour-to-hour, kind of day-to-day type thing before we see either whether Seth goes onto the field or, or uh, Blake goes onto the field on Saturday? Yes, that is correct. And, uh, and this is not, you know, uh, I've seen, uh, to steal your words, Dan, against, um, <laughs> that we just used a few minutes ago, from other opponents, right? We have these guys that are listed as starters, and then they don't even make the trip. So the depth, the depth charts we're receiving from our opponents um, are as good as the, the toilet paper in the, in the bathroom um, because they don't mean anything, right? I mean, it's so, you know, I can play that game, but I do respect our local media. Um, and so I try to be pretty transparent with things. Unfortunately, we're getting more and more where we're not, I mean, you know, where a guy is suspended for a game and is listed as a starter on the, the previous week's depth chart. So right. I just, right. um, you know, we want to be transparent, we want to be open. Um, I, I hope they're also preparing for Matt Dean, right, our, our, our fifth-string quarterback. So I'm going to go and throw that one out there. They need to go back and watch high school film on him because uh, I feel like that's what we've done um, with some of this all, all throughout college football, especially with our conference where these coaches are taking it very uh, lightly on what the depth chart actually means. You talked about the block punt from last week. This is a team that's blocked a couple of punts. I got one guy who's blocked a couple of punts. Is there something they do in that that, that has allowed them to to get a couple of block punts already? Yeah, I mean it, it makes my stomach. Anybody <laughs> that you know is a purist in college football, when you hear about block punt, your stomach just oh. <laughs> uh, so now, thank you. I will be uh, <laughs> finding it. They got Pepto. They got so medicine like, for that. They oh, can take a little Pepto. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So now, now I'll be taking two ambulances. No, it, it is. I mean, they, they do a phenomenal job on special teams. Um, in fact, their punt returner um, is, I think, top ten in the country. Yep. Um, and But they've blocked two punts, and they've got one guy that uh, is explosive, comes off the edge, times things up the right way. Um, and those are the, those are game changers, right? Those are things that, okay, punt the ball away, get a chance to play defense, all of a sudden it's a block punt. And most of the time, right, it, a lot of times they're returned for touchdowns, and a lot of times they're, um, you know, safeties. They're, yep. they're, are now the offense gets the ball at the you know plus territory. They already got points on the board. Mm-hmm. What generally happens. So we've got to be fundamentally sound. Um, I, I always tell our offense staff that guess the best way not to give up block plays is just don't punt the damn ball. Just go get first downs and touchdowns, and we'll be okay. So that's rocket science, and I lay it out there for them every week. We just got to go out there and do it. How proud are you of uh, what Tevin was able to do in relief last week, and and how much confidence do you have in him if he has to go? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Tevin is a a young man um, that I've always had such great belief in and, and admired, even you know as a, a, a young man coming up through Memphis. Um, just just so pleased with his work ethic every single day. Uh, he shows up even even when he stepped on campus, right? Um, green as can be he stepped up and prepared like he was a starter uh, his mindset his approach is the same every single day to work really hard uh, and to make this place better and to improve himself and he's done that he went out there 
Um, you, you guys, we talked about this, right, with Seth Hennigan being calm, cool, and collected. Well, I mean, you, no one could go out there and tell that you know, Kevin, certainly he had full confidence in saying the ball off, ripping that up and <laughs> the 85-yard pass. So, um, look, quite happy for him. You know, he knows whether he's the starting quarterback on Saturday or, or going in there in spot relief or doing whatever it looks like. Um, he's going to prepare, but just that's what you want for all your young men is when their number's called, they go out there and perform at a high level. At the like meetings and stuff like that, how much interaction have you had with Biff Pogey, who seems like a very interesting guy? And have you ever thought about going sleeveless on the sideline? Oh, he's cutting his sleeves off. I know he is. Yeah, so uh, I've met him the first time at our conference meetings. Um, you know, he's a, a nice gentleman. Um, look, head coaches, we're all weird. We're all strange. <laughs> we all got weird. You know, like, like, they're probably asking him the same question. Like, what about that weirdo? <laughs> you know, like, they're probably like, yeah, he's strange. How about him? Well, I got plenty of quirks and issues. Just, just ask half the fan base, right? I'm sure they can give you a long list. <laughs> um, no, you know, he is, he is different. And like I said in my press conference, we are, as a society, I'm not going up on a soapbox here. Believe me, okay? I don't want to bore everybody, but. We have these these what we think a, a, a head football coach should look like and act like and, and talk like and dress like and guess what he goes to the beat of his own drummer and I respect that um, you know he's even come out and admitted this is not a job he needs he is uh, as financially well off as the top half percent of Americans um, so this is for him you know he does it for a certain reason so <clears throat> frankly he doesn't care. Probably what a board of trustees members thinks about his outfit, right? Cut off sleeves and, and shorts, and um, we can all be so lucky to kind of have that uh, laissez-faire. Uh, you know what? I, I really don't answer to anybody. If you don't want me here, I'll go to my yacht. Um, so now, you know, credit to him for just doing what he believes and, and being comfortable. Um, the sleeveless deal, uh, maybe. You know, I, I've, I've got to get back in the weight room so I don't embarrass myself with the, the toothpick arms out there. But maybe I'll go do some curls, and maybe I'll cut the sleeves off. You know. Um, for the post game press conference, but the thing the thing about him is like with all of these for, for things like people like he's a little weird, like, but he's a, he's a he's a good football dude. Like he knows football. Like he had a lot of success at the high school level. You know, he's an associate head coach at Michigan through a lot of success. Like the guy knows football. Yeah, and that's what that's what you can't discredit, right? We're not we're not just hiring CEOs of you know Fortune five hundred companies to run football programs. I'm sure they got some good ideas, but. Um, I'll just say this, and this is not a, a, a pat on my own back. It's really hard uh, to, to manage a football program these days. And so uh, whether you're the, the, the CEO of a, a Fortune 200 company um, or been an associate head coach at Michigan, what, I mean, it, it takes a, a lot of work. And, you know, look, he's doing it at a high level. They've already won more games. He's put together um, arguably what some would say on paper, um, one of the better rosters in the conference with what he's able to do and, and roster management and, and he's winning football games and you know, it maybe his style and the way he talks and addresses well, good for him. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mumble, I talk fast, I, I, I stutter. So I'm sure, you know, people sit there and say, well, gosh, he needs to speak slower to be a head football coach. I don't know. Whatever. If we win football games, just guess what? win. People forgive you. <laughs> just yeah, win. Just Who win. Cares? People, people love you no matter what, right? I'm, no matter I've what. Got a face I got a face for radio and a bat and a sailor's mouth. So, you know, but guess what? We start winning games, people, yeah, he's not a bad guy. I like him. Yep. That's right. That's right. Last thing real quick. I know you got to run, and we appreciate your time as always. Uh, another roadie. You got two of your last three in the regular season on the road. You have played extremely well. You've had some wild games, but you've played extremely well on the road. Why is it that uh, you guys play so well on the road? 
I think just the mindset of, you know, uh, approaching everything. I, I try to prepare them for the atmosphere ahead, okay? So I show them, which is unusual for coaches to do, right? Normally, okay, hey, we're going into um, the swamp, and there's going to be 86,000 fans. It's going to be loud. Let's practice the crowd noise. You know, we talk about even in St. Louis, you can say, well, Ryan, you lost the game. You know, getting down there a day early, trying to prepare them for that environment, which was unique, you know. Um, I think we played Mizzou as close as anybody in the mm-hmm. country. Um, uh, you know, they, obviously they lost to Georgia, but like no one sits there and watches that game, so they weren't prepared um, for that game. And I think you know, as we go on the road, it's okay, guys. Here's the environment, at Charlotte. Here's what this looks like uh, when we get there. The focus of our guys, the maturity, um, and I talk about it all the time, guys. I, I, look, if we go play um, at a Cowboys Stadium in front of you know a hundred thousand fans and. and bright lights it's on national television or we go play um out there on get well road and it's just us and the boys putting the ball down the parking lot let's go do it it shouldn't matter and i think our guys have taken that approach which is quite pleasing but it's consistency right now can we go do it another week because we're going to be staying in a different hotel we're going to be uh, different weather different environment i don't know how many fans are going to be there all those mm-hmm. things reality well, what are you doing in between those white lines once the whistle's blown and we know it's always a challenge uh, but our guys have continued to prepare the right way in order to have success on Saturday. He's University of Memphis head football coach Ryan Silverfield. You can follow him on Twitter at rsilverfield. Catch him every week during the football season talking with us right here on Sports 56 Mornings. Coach, thank you so much, and, and best of luck to you. I appreciate you guys. Go Tigers. Take care. Coach Ryan Silverfield. we got the Tiger football report coming up in just a moment. Folks, if uh, you're gathered for a game this weekend, whether it be watching the Tigers game or maybe you're heading somewhere to watch some football, whether it be Friday night high school football, Saturday football, it doesn't matter. Maybe you're going out to watch the kids play soccer, whatever the case may be. Any event is a good time for the Crazy Coop and those delicious hot wings from the Crazy Coop with their 27 different seasonings and flavors. That's what makes them the best. Mango Habanero, the sweet taste of mango. That's one of the ways you can go. The sweet maple bourbon. The taste will remind you of chicken and waffles. The buffalo ranch, a perfect combo of ranch seasoning with a little kick. You can go really hot with the crazy sweet lemon pepper hot or the crazy suicide. And then if you can't take the heat, how about the four cheese roasted garlic? Delicious. Or the barbecue bacon bourbon. Just some of the seasonings you can get on your hot wings from the Crazy Coop. The whole wings, the party wings, the boneless wings, even those delicious chicken tenders. You can pick yourself up some crazy packs. They're open seven days a week from 11 a.m. until 9 p.m. Where are they located? Two convenient locations. 7199 Highway 64 between Appling and Kirby Witten. That's in Bartlett. They got the full menu, including their delicious catfish sandwiches, their juicy half-pound burgers, all the great sides like the fried okra, the green tomatoes, the dill pickles, and then the Crazy Coop Express. Zip in and zip out at 1315 Ridgeway off Poplar. You want an event catered by the Crazy Coop? They can do that as well. Just contact them. You can call in, order online, do whatever you can to you know, just get those chicken wings to your office or your home immediately. You can have DoorDash or any of the other services uh, deliver them to you. Again, it's real easy at the Crazy Coop. Maybe, have you thought, you know, you're, you're Joey Guns. Have you thought about going sleeveless for this game? <laughs> no. I was looking at the temperature. I think it's going to possibly be in the 50s, which is not too bad, which I think is perfect weather for football. But no, I'm, I'm just, I can't wait to see the guy. I tried, folks. I made a big effort to get Biff on the show. 
Uh, obviously, it fell on deaf ears. No response. I don't know if Biff is like a superstar there, and I just he you know he ain't coming on no Memphis radio station. He's Biff Pogey, but I am looking forward to watching this the, guy operate. By the way, it is Pogey. I know we we've been calling him Pogey the whole time. You're right. It is Biff Pogey. You're right. Um, when we come back, Eli has all the numbers and the Jimmys and Joes as he breaks down the Tigers and the Charlotte 49ers. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56, 98.5 FM. Broadcasting from the Family Leisure Studio, we are Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now. Back to Sports 56 Mornings. Isn't it a lovely morning? On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. It is time for the Tiger Football Report. It's brought to you by Los Cabos over on Summer Avenue. Dave and Busters. Car Corner on Mount Moriah. Coletta's, Ben Swanger Glass, Central Barbecue, and La Guadalupana as the Memphis Tigers once again hit the road this week, taking their 7-2 record, 4-1 in American Conference play. To Charlotte to take on the 49ers, who are 3-6 on the year and 2-3 and in conference play. It's a 1 o'clock kickoff, Jerry Richardson Stadium in Charlotte. It'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Um, and as you might expect, with it being on Veterans Day, it will be their military appreciation game. The head coaches, we just talked to Ryan Silverfield in his fourth year with the Tigers, 28-18, and 18, now his career record here. And then there's Biff Pogey in his first year, uh, previously the associate head coach at Michigan for two seasons. Um, an interesting character, as we talked about, who um, was... He, his father-in-law gave him some money, um, and he started a hedge fund and did very, very well in that business. Um, was a very successful high school coach in starting a program at his alma mater, or not as a coach at his alma mater. Then he started a program at another high school, um, was very successful at both. It, he was actually recruited to Pitt as a player by Jackie Sherrill. And then transferred to Duke. That's where he had a play. But he was a teammate of Dan Marino at Pitt. Um, Steve Spurrier was the offensive coordinator at Duke when he went there. So he's got he certainly got some football background. So he's what in his sixties, I would assume. I don't know for sure how old he is, exactly how old he is, uh, but he's an interesting cat. There's there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he is is a tire um, when he I, apparently when he was the first I guess at his press conference. Um, after the press conference, I think it was the, I think it was the either the AD or the chancellor, uh, basically said he needed to wear um, better attire, um, and he took that as motivation to I am never going to wear any other attire other than going shirt a shirt with uh, the cut off sleeves. So you probably shouldn't have tried to tell him that because that he doesn't really care. He's sixty four years of age. Do you know what his real first name is? I do not know. Xavier, Xavier Biff Poji. And would you put him at the top of the Delta Pledge class as far as uh, street fight in the conference with coaches? Nobody wants to mess with Biff, I don't think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Biff's rich. I don't think he wants to fight. <laughs> He's a, but he is a big boy. It looks like he could put up his dukes if he has to. Uh, Memphis coming in off their 59-50 win over USF last week. Charlotte comes in off a road win at Tulsa. They fell down 17 to nothing 
at Tulsa, but they came back and knocked off the Golden Hurricane in overtime, 33-26, to the final score in that one. This is the first-ever meeting between these two schools. Um, you may remember Charlotte was in Conference USA with Memphis, but that, at that time they did not have a football program. Uh, they started their football program in 2013. They made the move to FBS in football just in 2015. So this is still a very new football program. The Memphis offense now in the top 20 in the country in total offense, 19th, averaging 454 yards per game. They're also 19th throwing the football, averaging 293 yards per game. They are 59th in rush offense at 162 yards per game. They're 11th in the nation and second in the American Conference, averaging 39 points per game. And they now have 23 straight games of scoring at least 20 points which, again, is the longest active streak in the nation. At the quarterback position, Seth Hennigan, he is 26th in the nation in completion percentage, 13th in yards, 15th in touchdowns. He has seven interceptions on the year. He has not thrown an interception in the last three games. He also has four rushing touchdowns, so 24 total touchdowns on the year for Hennigan. He's thrown for over 2,500 yards. Last week was his season high. With 349 yards, he had the four touchdown passes and a touchdown run, so five total touchdowns last week. However, he got hurt in that game. And as Ryan Silverfield just said, it is a day-to-day thing with him. If he's not able to go, then Tevin Carter, the Memphis product, the area product, will be getting his first career start. Came in last week through the 85-yard touchdown on his first play. He is three for four in his career for 101 yards. So a huge difference in experience from Seth Hennigan to Tevin Carter, depending on who takes the snaps. You know, I I think Seth is going to play. I just have that feeling. I don't have any inside information, but I love Tevin Carter. I loved him in high school. I think he's going to be a a good college quarterback. uh, And for his sake, it's down the road with the University of Memphis and not transferring somewhere else. But he has no experience. That's the only thing. However, if there was a team... On the schedule that I would say, okay, you know, other than maybe Bethune-Cookman, that maybe he would go against. Not that Charlotte is a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. I would think this game, as as opposed to, let's say, next week against SMU. Of course, there are also questions about the health of running back Blake Watson coming out of last week's game. He had 64 yards rushing last week with a touchdown. Only one catch last week for four yards. For the year now, 23rd in the nation in rushing yards at 826. He averages 6.4 a carry. He's got 10 rushing touchdowns, which is tied for 12th in the nation. 35 catches for 352 yards and a touchdown receiving as well. He is still top 10 in the nation and leading the AAC in yards from scrimmage, averaging nearly 131 yards per game. And he still leads the nation easily in explosive plays of over 60 yards. His five plays of 60 or more yards, still two more than anybody else in the country. Of course, if he's not able to go, Sutton Smith, Brandon Thomas will see the, the, care, the bulk of the carries. Brandon Thomas again last week into the end zone. Now six touchdowns on the year on just 25 carries for Brandon Thomas. It's a pretty darn good ratio still. Uh, the receivers last week, big week for both Rock Taylor and Demir Blakemsey. Taylor had a season-high 159 yards on five catches, two touchdowns. 
third in the AAC now in yards, 752 receiving yards for him, four touchdowns on the year. Demir Blakemsey, also a season high last week in yards, 142 for him on six catches. He is now second on the team in catches and in yards. He's got 585 yards and three touchdowns on the year. And then the tight end showed up again last week, combining for three touchdowns on just four catches. That's a pretty good ratio as well. For the year, Anthony Lanfear, 18 catches, 175 yards, and two touchdowns. And then there's Brendan Doyle. (laughs) This is crazy. Three catches, all of them for touchdowns. Seems rather obvious. Throw the ball to Brendan Doyle. He's it's literally 100% chance it's a touchdown. He's today's Chris Carter. Just catches touchdowns. I mean, I don't know. I should have I should have asked Ryan Silver, why not throw to Doyle more if every time you throw to him it's a touchdown, <laughs> you would think you would throw the ball to him a lot more. But nonetheless, uh, the Memphis defense, whew, they have fallen all the way to 106th in the nation, averaging 417 yards per game allowed. They are 106th against the pass at 250 yards per game allowed. And they're 94th against the run. They have given up nearly 28 points per game. That's 82nd in the nation. They are still good on third down. Just over 30% allowed on third down, which is 15th in the country. 17 sacks on the year. Uh, They've got 15 total takeaways. Nine of them being fumble recoveries. They got another one of those last week. They are tied for fifth in the nation in fumble recoveries on the year. Chandler Martin still continues to lead the way. 69 tackles, nine and a half tackles for loss. A couple of sacks as well. Had a fumble recovery last week. His 48 solo tackles lead the AAC, tied for 13th in the nation in that category. Uh, Jeffrey Canton Arku, second on the team in tackles. A couple of forced fumbles, fumble recovery for him as well. They continue to be a great combination uh, for the Tigers defensively. They go against the Charlotte offense this week that um, unlike the last couple offenses they faced, let's just be honest, this is not a very good offense. They can catch their breath, the Memphis defense. Yes, and this is a completely different offense. Uh, They are 111th in the nation in total offense. They're 114th throwing the ball. They only average 178 passing yards per game. They are 83rd running the football at 144. They score 16.8 points per game. There are only two teams in the nation that score fewer. That is Akron, and Akron only fell behind them because they got shut out last night. So now they're they're third worst in the country because of that. Akron and Kent State, who also played last night, who was already behind them, those are the only two teams in the nation who have scored score fewer points per game than Charlotte. Well, I thought Iowa might be in that. No, no, they're not. That's this is again this offense not real good. <laughs> Worse than the Iowa offense. What they do though is they control the football. They are eighth in the nation in time of possession which is bizarre. Um, but again, they they want to run the ball. They play slower. It is literally, the I think, the exact opposite of what USF's offense is. Because they don't, it's not like they get a bunch of yards and a bunch of first downs, but yet they control the clock. You may get to this, but I'm wondering, do they turn the ball over when they get down the field in the red zone? Do they miss field goals? Because the scoring doesn't... No, they don't get yards. <laughs> but they're controlling the ball, yeah, so they, they, they got to get first downs, though. If you play slow yeah, but in college football today, you can win time of possession because most teams don't care about time of possession. Sure, but if you don't get a first down, you're not moving the change and you're, you're punting the football. That's wild. Again, they're 111th in the nation in yardage, so... 
They're not getting a bunch of yards. <laughs> That's true. That is really strange. Uh, their quarterbacks, Ryan Sorfield talked about three of them. Now, there are two that mainly play, although Jalen Jones did not play at all last week. I don't know if it's an injury. Again, he's listed on the depth chart. They list them as oars on the depth chart. But as Ryan Silverfield said, what are these depth charts worth? Trexler Ivy is a walk-on. And Jalen Jones, who is a transfer, have split the time at quarterback. Ivy took every snap last week. He completed 56% of his passes, nearly 1,000 yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions, and has two rushing touchdowns. Now, Jalen Jones, he transferred from Bethune-Cookman, started his career at Jackson State with Deion Sanders, and actually was a starter um, at a point for Jackson State, and then was really good, actually, at Bethune-Cookman. He's got some bloodlines. His mom was a four-time NCAA champion high jumper and went to the Olympics in the high jump, and his dad was a captain and starter at Colorado in the late 80s when they were really good. Jeez. So he's got some good bloodlines. He is a runner. Uh, he does throw the ball, 61%, 623 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions. It's not bad. But he leads the team in rushing. He's got 485 yards on the year. He also leads them in carries with 103, and he has four rushing touchdowns. So he is the runner of the two. But again, he did not take a single snap last week against Tulsa. It might have been because they fell behind 17 nothing. And they were throwing the football or needed to throw the football. Mm-hmm. So I, but Or go to bed that he was hurt. Again, information is hard to come by. Running backs, again, two guys. Teron Kelman, number zero. 82 carries for him. He's been over 20 carries each of the last two weeks. He is the workhorse. He's got 328 yards of touchdown in the year. Then number 21, Henry Rutledge. He is a dynamic player. He's also the kick returner and the punt returner. He's only got 13 carries on the year. But he's got 173 yards on those 13 carries. Last week against Tulsa, four carries for 92 yards. Is he a transfer? That name rings a bell. I believe Rutledge is. They're most Gen- of them all. Generally, if you play on this team, you're a transfer. Again, they have 70 new players on this team. But I mean, a transfer from a legitimate program. I, I don't know why Rutledge's name is ringing a bell. Rutledge is. Uh, no, he is not a transfer. He's one of the guys that's not a transfer. Okay. The Kelman is a transfer from Northern Illinois. Okay. Um, Rutledge is not. Yeah, I don't know why I've heard that name before, but anyway. uh, Among the receivers, uh, guys to watch, number 19, Jack Hestera is the leading receiver, 27 catches, 353 yards, three touchdowns. Number three, Jairus Mack, second in the conference in yards per catch, averages over 18 yards per catch. Had his second 100-yard game of the year last year, last week with 124 yards. He's got 19 catches for 350 yards on the season. They do like to throw to the tight end, and they have three of them. Number 18, Colin Weber. Number 81, Jake Clemens. And number 86, Bryce Kennan. Tight ends have accounted for 39% of their catches and 31% of the yards. Weber, although not listed as the starter, has as the most catches. He has 25 catches for 225 yards on the year among those tight ends. So they will again. This is a ball control theoretically, uh, theoretical offense. They want to run. They're going to throw to the tight ends. They're going to play a lot slower. Um, they want to control the football. Two rules of football: the tight ends always open. The bootleg always works. There you go. That's all you need to know. Now the Charlotte defense, just like the offense, is a lot different than the ones the Tigers have faced recently. Their defense is a lot better 
on paper than the defenses the Tigers have faced over the past few weeks as well. They are 49th in total defense, 85th against the run, and 28th against the pass. They give up less than 200 passing yards per game. And they're 63rd in scoring defense, averaging under 25 points allowed per game. Some guys to watch on the defense. Here's some transfers. Linebacker number 28, Demetrius Knight. He's a Georgia Tech transfer. Actually went to Georgia Tech as a quarterback and then moved to the defensive side of the ball. AAC Defensive Player of the Week a couple of weeks ago. Leads the team in tackles with 66. Has five and a half tackles for loss. One and a half sacks and an interception. He's a good one. The other linebacker alongside him, number 41, Nikai Hill-Green. A Michigan transfer. Second in tackles. And then there's the guy from Michigan, that coach talked about. Defensive lineman number zero. Yabi Okir Anuma, Anoma. Transfer from Michigan. Went there as a five-star recruit. Was like a top ten recruit in the nation. Third in the conference in sacks. He's got five. He's got ten quarterback hits. Ten and a half tackles for loss on the year. He, at the defensive end position, he can be a load. Again, a five-star guy playing at <laughs> in this, and when Charlotte's got a five-star guy, that's a hell of a coup. So that's the connection, obviously, with Pogey having been yes. in Michigan. He, he's brought these guys, a couple of guys, some of his guys from Michigan, uh, with him to Charlotte. Do you think he's looking at stallions now in the uh, portal? I well, hey, <laughs> he was at he was at Michigan, right? You I, do the math. I don't know what he knew what was going on or not, but. I don't know if anybody was saw anybody in Charlotte gear at the game last week against USF. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, Ryan Silverfield talked about their special teams. I mentioned it. Number 40, Reed Williford. He is a guy to watch. He has blocked two punts already this year. Ryan talked about how that keeps coaches up at night. But he's blocked two punts already this season. Their punter, Grant Gagne, leads the conference in punting average. And Rutledge, who I mentioned, the running back, a dynamic player, Top 10 in the country in punt return average and also returns kicks. He is a dynamic type player. Uh, so their special teams are very, very good. Really, in every aspect of special teams, they are pretty darn strong. Memphis, right now, a nine and a half point favorite. The over under in this one, 51 and a half, obviously much lower because of the way Charlotte likes to play. Um, so we're not the 68 that we've seen the last couple of weeks, which the Tigers have gone soaring over those totals in each of the last two weeks. Again, the Tiger Football Report brought to you by Central Barbecue, Ben Swanger Glass, La Guadalapana, Car Corner on Mount Mariah, Coletta's, Dave and & Buster's, and Los Cabos on summer. One o'clock. Coming up Saturday afternoon, the Tigers and the 49ers in Charlotte. All right, we'll come back. Final segment in hour number two. I have a list of draft possibilities, quarterbacks in college football, and how they're ranked as far as their NFL possibilities. I want to go over that list when we return. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Be sure to follow us at Sports56WHBQ on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to watch live video of our shows, stay up to date with station events, and have chances to win prizes. Don't miss out on anything that's going on. Follow us at Sports56WHBQ. 
Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Genuine diamonds, baby. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Got a, a text from Reggie. He says, this will be a great weekend for me. I live in Charlotte. I get to see the Tigers on Saturday. Go Tigers. And I'm a veteran. Well, Reggie. Thank First, you. thanks for listening, being a loyal listener there in Charlotte. I know listen all the time. Thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. Um, and to all the veterans out there for Veterans Day coming up on Saturday. Yeah, cool for you. Uh, great to or, opportunity with Charlotte now in the conference for you to go over and see the Tigers in action. I was saying to you during the break, you know, the perfect scenario is if Hennigan can go, he gets in there, they score several touchdowns, they grab a big lead, maybe early third quarter, Hennigan's out of the game, Tevin Carter's in, but you know that probably won't be the case because it hasn't been the case all year for the Tigers. They've either had big leads that they've lost, and Ryan was talking about that, or they've had to come from behind, but that's the perfect scenario. If, again, if Hennigan can go, that Seth doesn't have to go the entire game. He, he's, he stays healthy in the game, he does damage, they're going to win the game. Then he gets to rest and get ready for the Titanic matchup that will be next week against SMU. It's not a, as big a matchup if you lose or even if SMU loses. But it's shaping up to be what should be a great game a week from Saturday. Take care of business, and it should be a fun week preparing for Memphis and SMU. And, of course, SMU in its final season in the American Conference. All right, so I was saying before the break that um, the quarterback draft board is interesting. And this is just one publication that has ranked quarterbacks, and it's ESPN. So they've had their experts put together their thoughts, and they've come up with what many people believe, Caleb Williams, number one, Drake May, number two. That was the two names going into the season. It continues to be the two, although I love Michael Penix, Jr., Now, Shadur Sanders early in the season kind of moved up, and they still have him at number three. I don't know if he's the third best quarterback that would be available for the NFL draft. I like him. I think he has a good chance to become a a good, solid NFL quarterback. They got J.J. McCarthy fourth, the Michigan quarterback. They got Carson Beck fifth from Georgia. Beck has been better than I thought he would be. He has really been good for Georgia. Then they got Jaden Daniels, who is expected to play for LSU, even though he got banged up, obviously, in the game against Alabama. They have Bo Nix seventh, then Michael Penix Jr. Am I missing something here with Michael Penix Jr.? I think he's the best quarterback coming out. He's number eight. They got Quinn Ewers, who's hurt right now for Texas, at number nine. They got Michael Pratt from Tulane who I like a lot at 10. And then here's an interesting guy, Spencer Radler. Boy, has he had an up-and-down collegiate career, but he has put together some huge gains for South Carolina. 6'1", 217. I like him. He's probably a guy that'll go mid-rounds, but may be a guy who sticks with the team, and who knows where his career will go from there. Then Jordan Travis, 12th. Cameron Ward of Washington State, 13th. Sam Hartman is an interesting character from Notre Dame, 14th, veteran player who's been around, goes from Wake Forest to to, uh, Notre Dame. K.J. Jefferson at number 15, 
And then they round out their top 16 with Riley Leonard of Duke, who has battled injuries. What do you think about that as far as the list and quarterbacks are concerned? Um, I am not as high on Drake May as they are. Um, I don't know. I don't know for sure what their the knock is on Penix of why he isn't higher on some of these. I do like Sanders. I think Sanders has been really good. Um, you know, Bo Nix. It's hard for me. I, I think of Bo Nix like from the early days at Auburn, and I, I just don't see him as an NFL quarterback. Now, he's come a long way since then, but I just I still don't. I can't get in my head Bo Nix really as an NFL quarterback. I'm with you 100%. I mean, you, certainly you can improve. There's no question about it. Obviously, he's improved his stock. This is only one publication. But, yeah, I don't get the Bo Nix. I can't believe that there's seven quarterbacks ahead of Michael Penix Jr. And I haven't watched Penix a ton as far as just seeing how I, – I don't know if it's accuracy issues. Um, I think you – know, because I, I like – I mean, I, I think Jaden Daniels has – I love J.D. Dams, but I, just I, I don't, I don't know him. if he's accurate enough. I mean, the okay. NFL, you have to be able to. And that's why I don't think Drake May is that accurate. And Drake May, under pressure, will throw the ball up for grabs a lot. Um, I just, I mean, you have to be so accurate at the NFL level because the windows are just what you're throwing into. Guys aren't open. <laughs> you you have to throw them open. It's, it's hard. So I don't know. Uh, if if that's the knock on Daniels and, and Penix, I don't know for sure. You know, I I, I still think Quinn Ewers is going to be. I, I think, I mean, as highly ranked as he was coming out of high school, when he's been healthy, he's been good at Texas. I I think Quinn Ewers has a, a certainly has a chance to be a good NFL quarterback. What do you think about Michael Pratt? Uh I think Michael Pratt could get killed in the NFL. <laughs> really, I I, just, I think he's frail. And I don't, I haven't, I, I don't know arm strength wise whether, I'd, I'd have to really watch more of it. But I don't, I don't think he has an NFL caliber arm. And then Jackson Dart's not on this list. I don't think he has any more eligibility left, correct? Or does he? Uh, I, I, I don't know. What do you think about him as an NFL quarterback? I, I don't see him you don't as see an it? NFL quarterback, no. You don't see it? Okay. Anyway, that's ESPN's list of their top college football quarterback and, now, prospects for the draft. And remember, again, we are we're gonna have our tenth rookie quarterback starting this season in the NFL coming up with old Mr. Danny DeVito uh getting his start. <laughs> but again, like we're talking Tyson Bagent and we're talking Tommy DeVito, like these guys all can find a place in the NFL. There are places for these guys in the NFL. There's no doubt about that. Got to get in the right situation, all that. I don't know how many can be good, but certainly you can find your way onto an NFL roster and help become a starting quarterback pretty quickly because right now the NFL needs starting quarterbacks. Yeah, you're, you're going to get your chance, right? You're going to get your – I'm not saying everyone's making an NFL roster and they're going to get their chance, but certainly a lot of these guys are going to be given their opportunity. They're going to be drafted. And they have a chance to make a team. By the way, Tommy DeVito, and when we were talking about him, I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago, out of Syracuse, I'm like, wait. And you kept cracking the joke about Danny DeVito. And I was saying, wait, but Tommy DeVito, the name Tommy DeVito, I know that name. And I had to just uh, look it up to double check. Yeah, Tommy DeVito was one of the four seasons with Frankie Valley. He was the guy that was kind of calling. Was he it. spring, summer, fall, winter? Which one was he? <laughs> no. Did you ever see the. 
The movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I didn't see the movie. I saw the play. You saw the play. The you guy who was kind of running the show, like it was like his group, and then Frankie was obviously he blossomed into being the big star. DeVito was the tough guy who screw, who screwed him over, stole the money, all that. That's Tommy DeVito, and now he'll be starting quarterback for the New York Giants. <laughs> and now he's and, and now he's screwing over the Giants by he's being their starting the, quarterback. He's screwing over the Giants. All right, two hours in the books. When we come back, it's the AutoZone Liberty Bowl inside College Football Hour right here on Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM.